Hello and welcome to the Long Shot Podcast. I am your host, Davis Patrick Reed. If you're new here, Duncan is also usually here, but he is away for the playoffs as the Miami Heat try to win a championship. If you're not new and you're returning, then you probably already knew that, in which case I should say thank you for listening and thank you for coming back even while he is gone. And actually, this is an opportunity to take a a quick tangent and and seriously say thank you guys because this has been a little bit of a nerve-wracking experience doing a podcast without Duncan. You know, when you're talking once a week and you have the crutch to lean on of an NBA basketball player, it becomes a lot easier to make content. I mean, there's always something to talk about. You can talk about what's going on in his life, what it's like behind the scenes being an NBA player. You can talk about what's going on in the NBA. And it's always interesting because you have a player perspective. To create that weekly content without that crutch of having the NBA guy, it's a little bit more challenging. And so we didn't really know what it was going to look like doing this during the playoffs without him. But you guys have been incredibly supportive of these. This is now week number three of everything that we've put out. And so it means a ton. It's made it a little less stressful uh, because you guys are, are just the best. So thank you. I, on that note, we're going to keep trying things out because we're still feeling it out week to week, trying to figure out what this is going to look like. And it's probably going to continue to vary. But this week I wanted to do something a little bit different. In honor of Mother's Day coming up this week, I sat down with Duncan's mother, Elizabeth, to talk about what it's been like to watch him on his journey to the NBA. It's a really fun one. She is so kind, has such a great perspective. She's just the best. And she has some awesome Duncan stories. He's got such a interesting journey. I mean, it's the reason we did this podcast because it's the story of the underdog. I mean, he's a guy who has taken some massive leaps of faith in his career from transferring to Michigan from a division three, having no idea what that was going to look like to then coming out of Michigan, having the choice to go with one of two agents. One was going to help him find a comfy overseas job somewhere playing basketball, which seemed like the far more likely scenario for him. But then he had the option to go with Jason Glushan, an agent who could help him potentially break into the NBA, which felt a little far-fetched, but he bet on himself. He's got a career history of betting on himself. And so who better to talk about these major decisions and these Uh, milestones in his life than his mother, who was there to help him through the entire process. So she does that. She gives some really cool insight on what that those decisions were like and where his mind was at during those decisions. She also just tells some hilarious stories of him as a kid sulking on the Little League baseball field and crying because he threw a ball. So uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. And let's just get right to it. I am now incredibly honored to be joined by Elizabeth Robinson, the mother of ours truly, Duncan Robinson, for a Mother's Day special. Elizabeth, we have talked for a while about having you on the podcast. Duncan and I have thrown the idea out of having both of our moms on, which we still should probably do at some point. But I figured while I'm running the show solo and he's away, what better opportunity to have you on so we can talk about him behind his back. So that's what that's what I'm thinking we do today. But thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you. I am too. Davis Patrick Reed. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to tell you uh, everything else now. <laughs> I know. he's. Uh, I love that he, he has. He's introduced to the world my middle name. Um, people, he also, he gets some credit for starting to call me Dave. I never went by Dave before. 
Uh, but he and Harry and some of those Exeter guys started calling me Dave, which now my close friends call me. And it, I think in my head, Dave sounds like an old uncle or something. Uh, but now that I'm referred to as Dave, I think I just have to embrace it. So your son also gets some credit for that. There you go. Let the credits <laughs> roll. <laughs> so I want to I wanna start with just him as a kid. Because I met Duncan in 2010. We were 16-ish years old. We met at a basketball camp in Boston. And he was a very different person than he is now. He wasn't as tall. He wasn't as strong. He could barely run in a straight line. Uh, and this was him as a, a high schooler. But I imagine, and the stories I hear is that he was like this as a kid as well. But can you just help paint a little bit of a picture for me uh, and for the audience of just what he was like as a kid? What stood out to you about his personality? So he was very fun. He was fun to be around. And he was very happy um, a lot of times in, in a lot of different situations. He was pretty social. He liked a lot of people. He remembered people's names. He had a he he did and he still does have a high EQ IQ kind of thing. He was kind of a huckleberry boy. He loved to go into the woods and learn stories about how raccoons got their mask and learn how to make a fire without any matches. And he really loved to be out in the woods. And um, there was programs that did that um, outback programs kind of thing. So. He did that. Um, he was very athletic. He loved every sport. Um, he, he was pretty brave as a kid because he was the last of three. So I remember one time waking up at six in the morning after we had been at the top of Sugarloaf, which is a huge mountain, and Duncan was three. And I was like, oh my gosh, we just took Duncan to the top of Sugarloaf. And he skied all the way down without a, a peep. He just you know, did it. So he was, he was very um, willing to be part of the, the posse of the five of us and had fun doing it. He was great. He also had two, a brother and a sister who really took care of him. They really liked him. And so it was, it was a group uh, ethos that we had about being funny with each other, calling each other out on each other's stuff and um, having fun with each other and kind of getting where each other's at and filling in the gaps and stuff like that. So he had, he didn't have tyrannical older brother and sister. He had very nurturing, um, Eli gave him some grief, but Marta was like always taking care of Duncan. So he had that. And I would say that his, he, that responsibility of theirs, like, I, like I think you and he are similar in that you're both very reliable and responsible and real. And so I think he, he, adopted that from our the whole ethos of our family, I would say. I always, seeing the way that he interacts with Marta and with Eli, it always made me envious and wanting older siblings because there is, it's just such a, the family dynamic is just so special. And I remember some times out in the vineyard, in Martha's Vineyard, where we're playing, maybe it's Bananagrams or cards or some game, maybe it's charades, and there's a competitiveness that is in the Robinson family that is hard to match. And so I think that also fosters this athletic, like it's not surprising that Duncan found a career in sports being raised in the competitive, competitive environment that was in the Robinson household. Yes, we are all competitive and I'm probably one of the most competitive in a quiet way, but very, <laughs> I like my win, you know, I like my W kind of thing. So that's um, we, something he we, gets from you. 
yeah, his father was very, um, is very um, competitive too, but probably I'm a little bit more, I would say aggressively competitive, I would say maybe to a fault. <laughs> well, well, I think Duncan can be competitive to a fault too. And that was one of the first things that jumped out to me about him, whether it was on the basketball court or like I said, a card game or a video game, it was apparent immediately how badly he wanted to win. And I've heard- Or an argument. Or, and especially an argument, especially an, an argument. argument. I always called him our litigator because he would never, ever back down of being wrong. <laughs> and if he was wrong, he'd say, okay, well, you can be right, but I can also be right. He would never, ever give in for being wrong. Well, and I think it could get to the point where it was a problem. And I've heard some stories about him as a young kid on the basketball court specifically where when he was wrong or if something went, you know, something went awry, he would sulk and he would complain with refs and he would, you know, cross a line sometimes and you would have none of it. He is like, you were oh, yeah. not standing for it. No, I was, I was sort of the um, moral ethical police with him about that. Like, in fact, one time he was on the little league mound, you know, doing his, his uh, pitching and he was a good pitcher, but he would, if he didn't get, if he got a ball or, um, and two balls, he'd start pouting on the mound. And I was mortified, mortified. And I was like, this cannot go on. So I took a video of him doing it. And I took him home right after that game. And I said, we are watching you on the mound. And so we did. And it was, he suddenly got it. He suddenly saw how much he's wasting everybody else's time by pouting and having a fit and throwing his hat or doing whatever he was doing. And I was like, you are not doing this again. And he did, he cleaned up his act quite a bit. So he was um, good like that. It's, it's a couple of takeaways from that story. One, I think every kid does that. I definitely did. And I remember, like I have vivid memories of, you know, striking out in little league baseball and then going into the dugout and crying and like, and just being so mad and throwing my helmet and, I, I, most of my friends and teammates had those moments also. So I think for you as a parent to think, I don't, I don't know if it ever would have crossed my parents' mind to film me and show me what it looks like. Cause I think once you see yourself doing it, it's easy, even as a kid to understand that, oh, I look ridiculous. But for you to be aware that that would work, I think is, is really impressive. Is it true that you also made him take a manners camp or go to a manners camp to, <laughs> to learn how to be a better behaved kid? I did. It was more, it wasn't more the, like the behavior. It was more like the, um, yes, Miss Manners. And it was a, a series of two dinners. And what I did is I got like eight eighth graders and eighth, eight, eight, eight eighth grade girls. And all the, so the 16 of them went to this uh, restaurant to learn manners. You know, the, you know, the work is on this side and that side and you, you know, at, you pass the bread first, all that kind of stuff. And um, so then the 16 mothers, we all went out to dinner. <laughs> it was during a big game. It was during some sort of, I don't know, it was a pennant game or maybe the Celtics ending game or something really big. So <laughs> there were not cell phones at the time, or I didn't let Duncan have a cell phone, but his friends had one. And so they were, they were texting their fathers about what was happening during the, 
this uh, game and stuff. It was really funny. But they had to dress up. They had to get in the coat and tie. And they had to go, you know, be presentable and stuff. So Duncan has talked a lot on this podcast about how big of a Celtics fan he was as a kid. And yes, the, I, did a, I did a little research with some people in the family, and the, the word on the street is that this was 2008 when the Celtics won the championship, and this was the Eastern Conference Finals Game 7. And, <laughs> and Duncan, there's nothing Duncan cares more about in his life at this point, but he had to go to, you said it was Miss Manners? He had to go to Miss Manners and miss the game. <laughs> Because he had to learn how to behave at a dinner with his mother. <laughs> I know. That's total torture. I understand it. But, I, but, but you know what? I got to give him credit. He did it. He went with all his friends. They all complained. The girls loved it. The girls loved being there um, with all those handsome young eighth grade boys. <laughs> and uh, all that. They loved it. But uh, yeah, I did make him do that. <laughs> It's so indicative of who he is, though, and who you are. I mean, just basketball was always the priority. He always wanted to chase that dream. You always supported it. But there were other priorities that needed to be there as well, <laughs> one of which was learning how to become a well-mannered boy. But he's told, I, I wanted to ask you about, because he's talked to, on the podcast also about uh, his technical at the Christmas Day tournament as a kid. He got a technical foul, and apparently... Oh. The drive home with you was not a pretty one because, again, like he look, Duncan is one of the more behaved people that I know, or, or, or as a kid was. You know, he's always a very mature, very responsible, very smart kid. But you know, we all have weak moments. So when he gets a technical as a kid, what's your messaging to him in that car ride home? Oh, messaging. I wouldn't call it messaging. I would call ignoring and then saying, "This is not going to happen again." Let's trust me here. It is not going to happen again. So not a lot of discussion, more just like clear boundaries. This is what it looked like. This is how you came across. These are adults that are giving their time during Sunday morning at a tournament. You're also representing your team wrong, you know, that whole kind of thing. So um, another a big thing was um, there was another kid on his brother's age that would always take off his, he was the star player. And he would always take off his shoes before the end of the game because the scrubs would come in and finish up the game because they were ahead so far and stuff. And I would be livid, livid. For, and he's not even my kid. He was in high school. And I would say to my kids, don't you ever let me see you take off your shoes before the end of the game. What is that? What message is that kind of thing? So I was very into those kind of, um, you know, lessons. Yeah. Well, again, again, it's it's so apparent just in the way that you know Duncan has always handled himself well on the basketball court, and I'm now learning that most of that credit, it sounds like, is uh, goes to you. You know, yes, he's a good kid. I think he probably always had it in him, but you were you were on top of it as as he was as grown up. So I'm also curious. Not only were you prioritizing uh, his behavior and his manners as you should have, but he, at least when I met him, because I met him when he was in high school, and he was so focused on basketball. He was so driven. I remember thinking I worked hard in Kansas growing up, and then meeting him and Harry and some of these other guys at Exeter, Chris Braley, and their work ethic was just, it blew me away. It honestly, it made me sort of reevaluate or, or, or um, reevaluate how much I wanted it you know, how much I wanted to be a, 
a really good basketball player, a good college basketball player. I don't know if I ever had my sights on the NBA or playing professionally, but they just got after it at a different pace. Was that something that he always had, even back before? Because when I met him, he was a good basketball player. But I know that there was a stretch there where he wasn't one of the best. I mean, he didn't even play a lot on his high school team early on. But did he always have that fire? Was that always apparent? Yes. He is a very much of a Taurus. He's very stubborn. And um, the work ethic, I think they each fed each other with work ethic. I remember he and Harry sometimes would get up at 3 in the morning to make a five o'clock workout in Boston that they could only work out from five to six or something ridiculous like that. I mean, literally they were, they just got their licenses. It wasn't that they were, you know, I mean, maybe they were 18 or something, but uh, they would get up and do that and then study the game and very much into it. When he was younger, I made him play all the sports because I wanted his, his uh, first of all, it's better for the body. You know, if you play a, a bunch, of, I don't want them to have Tommy John surgery, you know, right. at age whatever. Um, but also the IQ of the court is so much higher if you play soccer and then you play lacrosse and then you play baseball and then you play basketball. Basketball is definitely always his sport, but um, he was really good at sports. And I really wanted him to have a melange of different uh, IQs to go into the basketball court with. But then when he got, when he hit, when you met him, he was just basketball. It was just goodbye, everything else. Yeah, it, it, def, it, it really was. And I, I'm curious from your perspective. I mean, you're obviously an incredibly supportive mother. You would do anything for Duncan. But are there any points along the journey where you're like, hey, I need you to focus more on school or I need you to think more about what you're going to do after basketball? Or was it always just he was so driven on it? Because I remember there were times where my parents, my parents were incredibly supportive and I loved basketball more than anything else too. But to their credit, because I'm grateful for this, there were times where my my dad would be like, homework first, or like school first, uh, or, or just making sure that other priorities were in line. Obviously it's worked out for Duncan. He's now you know playing professionally. It's become his career. But were there points where, because there had to be moments where that seemed unrealistic and you thought maybe he should be spending time on other things? Or did you ever try to steer him away from spending so much time on basketball? Well, I'm very lucky in that Duncan did not need to be told to get his homework done. He just did it. He, and he had such a good, he would do it during the day at a, you know, like a break between classes or whatever. He had it down how to do it. Was he a straight A student all the time? No. Did I accept that? I was totally fine with that. I wanted him to be a whole child and not just this brainiac person that has no other personality to him kind of thing. With the, with the basketball thing, I felt like it was like imprinting. If you could do one thing passionately and do it well, what's your next thing? So I felt like I didn't, I, I wasn't threatened by his commitment to basketball because I saw him, this passion and this intelligence and his body, everything was just getting fed. So I, I, it did not concern me that he was so uh, involved with, or myopic on basketball. To me, it was more just like he was really into something and it would imprint him to anything else he wanted to do kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, which makes sense. I think, yeah, uh, that's that's beautiful in, in a way. And then it all works out, right? He goes to Williams. He gets into – I remember my goal was always like, all right, let's use basketball to sneak into as good of a school as possible. You know, it's like I was a good student. I prioritized school, but I wouldn't have had the chance to go to Phillips Exeter or Wesleyan if it weren't for basketball. I wouldn't even known what those schools were. For Duncan, it was obviously a little bit different because growing up in New England, you're aware of those schools. But then it, it feels like it all works out. He gets to Williams, one of the best schools in the country. He's playing basketball. Not only is he playing, but he's playing a lot. He's one of the best players on the team. They go to the national championship. It has to, in that moment, feel like, okay, it all worked out. Like, everything's worth it. If the story would have ended there, it would have been great. Yeah, it, it totally would have been great. And uh, it was. And then Mike Maker decided that he wasn't going to come back. And um then Duncan, he he was way ahead of me on that one. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And we talked to so many coaches within two weeks time. And Duncan navigated that so beautifully and with such maturity. I remember we were all on the vineyard and he kept going out to the car to talk to all these different coaches and stuff. And it was like really impressive about, he'd come back and I go, so what'd they say? And then some coaches were calling me and some of them were, call, you know, or that Harry, Marta, and I, and um, Duncan would be up in the room, you know, saying, okay, what's this? What, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Kind of being his um, sounding board for what was going to happen next and stuff. But I want to I say the first time I met you, we, uh, it was early fall, Exeter. Duncan got, we, we were going to take Duncan out to lunch. And um, you came along. He goes, can Davis come? And I go, great. And you were just so wonderful that you are. And so just this beautiful smile. And I go, so where are you from? And he said, Kansas. I go, Kansas. I go, how did you end up here? And he goes, I'm not really sure. <laughs> and I go, does anybody in Kansas know anything about PG years? And you go, you go not a clue. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea. And I remember that lunch. I remember meeting you for the first time. And I, it, that year was so awesome in retrospect but in the moment i was so overwhelmed i didn't know what i was getting into you know you grow up in kansas like like you just said i had no idea what a prep school was what a postgrad year was i went to a public high school where i wore sweatpants and a t-shirt to class every day and had my friends and drove around and you know my parents gave me the freedom to do what i wanted to and then i find myself at phillips exeter where we're wearing a tie to class every day we have a curfew at 10 p.m. I'm halfway across the country away from my family. All my friends from back home are in college. I'm at this prep school with 13 and 14-year-olds. You know, it's, I'm still at a high school. And I remember having moments of serious doubt. Of like, what am I doing here? Like, what, yeah. what did I do? But yeah. you were 20 minutes down the road, and you welcomed us to the house whenever we wanted to come. We would go spend the weekends with you. You would bring us food and you would feed, you know, you would take us around the city and you would take us out to dinners and it just made the process so much easier. So I've, I'm sure that I've thanked you before, but it, it is, I can't imagine what that year would have been like without you, because seriously, I think build like the, the, the role you played in helping build that community of, of the Exeter guys that, you know, those are still my best friends. I think a lot of that credit is because we could escape campus and the wildness that was Phillips Exeter and go have hangouts at the weekend at your house. And it just brought us so much closer together. Well, you, your group was like divine intervention. It was like everything came together. Coach Chilton just, 
I don't know, it just was this beautiful thing that just kept blooming. And you guys were like the Huckleberry Boys. Everybody loved you. Everybody respected you. You lived up to their respect. Uh, you helped female athletes. Uh, you you worked with them. You worked with uh, so many coaches. Still come to Duncan's games. You know, if they're in New York City, yeah. even it's just the group of you. It was like that calculus. We were more than just the sum of your parts. Yeah. It was a very special year of, for all of you. And you won that championship for the first time in how many years? Like 70 yeah. years or something. It it was a magical year. I mean, it really was. And, and you know, honestly, I, I think credit goes to Harry, Duncan, and Chris, a, a lot of it, because they were already, they knew each other. They were already sort of, you know, really tight friends and they'd played AAU together. So they were sort of the nucleus. I remember right when we showed up, Harry was sort of like took the reins as the captain and Duncan and Chris were right behind. Chris had already been a year at Exeter. So yeah, it, I totally agree with you. It was a magical year. It was a group that was so spe so special. And like I said, those guys are still my best friends to this day. We still have our Exeter group chat where we're, you know, firing off texts to each other and checking in on each other, making sure everything's okay. Um, so that year was amazing. Again, then Duncan goes to Williams. I you You touched on this a little bit, but I'm fascinated by that year after Williams, the decision to transfer to Michigan. Um, and and yeah. like you said, Duncan, I think, was quicker to get to that than you were. Because I remember there were times where you, and rightfully so, by the way, I mean, it was a huge jump, seemed a little more hesitant about him leaving. Again, such a perfect situation that was at Williams. It was, again, amazing school, really good basketball. Duncan had the chance to play and play a lot. And so Deciding to change things, regardless of what the school was that he was ending up deciding to go to, was a huge risk because the situation was so good at Williams. How long did it take for you to kind of wrap your head around, okay, this is happening, uh, and I'm just you know full support. Whatever Duncan wants to do is what he's going to do. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of phone calls, and I did get uh, pretty uh, – the people that the cream that rose to the top were the coaches that actually called me too and told me about their program and um beeline was great they were all great all d1 schools um the one from omaha said mrs robinson have you ever been to omaha and i said no and he goes you're gonna love omaha <laughs> he said i'm sure i will <laughs> so anyway we went on these trips and but when we were in michigan Beeline brought out the whole group, you know, all seven assistant coaches. Um, they were all wonderful. They kept talking to me and making me part of the, you know, decision and stuff. And we would be in the elevator. That was the only time that we would um, have alone time. And I remember going up the elevator going, what do you think? And he goes, Michigan is, you know, awesome. He goes, I don't think I can say no to Michigan. And so, yes, it was a definite risk a huge risk, but they made Duncan feel like he was like, in fact, one coach, assistant coach said to me, um, I've seen coach Beeline have a lot of recruits come through here. And all of us are sometimes scratching our head or thinking about something because I've never seen all assistant coaches totally on board with Duncan. He goes, we really, really, really want him." And that to me, that statement, he didn't have to say that to me. And I felt it. And um, so Duncan was, he signed up and it was very scary, but it was very exciting. Yeah. It was believing I, in himself. 
Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. That's exactly what it was. It, I have a, a question, but before we get to that, is it true that on the visit to Michigan, you guys were touring the practice facility and you asked uh, how they got the bleachers in for the, for the games? <laughs> yeah. Um, my, uh, yeah. My D1 IQ is not very high. <laughs> Understandably, by the way, because I I had the opposite experience, which is funny because growing up in Kansas, you know, my parents went to the University of Kansas. I grew up going to Allen Fieldhouse to watch the Jayhawks play, and that was my idea of college basketball. So I had the opposite experience where we would go when we were at Exeter, we would go to some of these colleges and play games at you know Dartmouth or Williams or I, the first time I went to Wesleyan. It was such a shock to me it was such a different experience so that it's one of my favorite stories is that yeah because if by the way if that's what if that's what you're used to if that's what you're aware of that the michigan practice facility looks like a division three basketball gym you know it's a it's a very understandable mistake but it's just it's very i can imagine from the coach's perspective being like what are you talking about no we'll, we'll go show you chrysler here in a second you'll be blown away yeah there were these um boxes next to every um hoop and it would tell you the the degree of your arc it would speak it out and i'm like looking at these boxes and looking at the arc of the whatever and i was just blown away by that and that was in the practice facility yeah so it, i just thought it was it's amazing it's you know duncan it was apparent at Williams how good of a basketball player he was. And who knows if you re, if you rewrote the story and he stayed at Williams, who knows where he ends up? You know, maybe he still finds his way to the NBA. But the difference in resources that you get when you go from a really good, really high-level Division three program to a really good, really high-level Division one program are just night and day. Do you have memories of like your first times seeing that, whether it was the tour at Michigan that you went on or coming to watch your first game that Duncan was playing in, just being sort of blown away by the magnitude of it all? Our next partner has a product that I have told you guys repeatedly, and I mean it, I use every day. Athletic Greens. I take AG1 because it gives me the kick I need in the morning. It's got everything I need. I don't waste any time. I simply mix it with a cup of water, guzzle it down to start the day before I eat anything else, and all of a sudden, my day is way more likely to be fantastic because I now know I've taken care of my gut health. I'm going to have more energy. I'm going to optimize my immune system, and I don't have to take pills or vitamins. Actually, when I was a kid, I couldn't swallow pills or vitamins. I had to try to crush them up, put them in my applesauce. I'm not 100% sure that I could swallow pills regularly now if I needed to. With AG1, I don't have to worry about it. I just mix it in a glass of water, it tastes delicious, and I can drink it right down. It's like I'm just having a nice treat in the morning. I've actually let it sort of replace my coffee. I didn't love that I was uh, developing a little bit of a coffee dependency, and I'm telling you that the Athletic Greens has sort of taken away that urge too because I'm now starting my morning with AG1 instead of a cup of coffee. And then by the time that I've finished it. I'm, I'm good to go. My day has started. And I've absorbed 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to make sure that my day started right. So check this out. If you're interested in checking out AG1 Athletic Greens, we're going to make it easy for you because they're going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. 
All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash longshot. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash longshot to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I've told you guys this before, but it is worth mentioning again. When I was rocking a suit on my wedding day, it was Indochino. And let me tell you, I don't know if I ever felt sexier. It fit me perfectly because that's what they do. It's custom fit. I remember walking into the shop in Kansas City. They gave me the full experience. It smelled good in there. They had all the materials laid out for me, all the different colors. I got to hand make my suit. It's like, what more can you ask for? And here's the thing. They don't just do suits. They do casual wear. They do nice pants. They do nice shirts. They've got accessories, everything you need to feel your best. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, I can't stress it enough. It was like this thing was painted on me. I got the exact color I wanted. It felt comfortable. It was lightweight. I got married in August. So it I, it's very hot in Kansas City in August. But this thing kept me cool and I looked cool. So it was like, what, what more can you ask for? If you've got a big day coming up, getting the perfect look is no big deal with Indochino. Get $50 off any purchase of $3.99 or more by using promo code LS at Indochino.com. That's $50 off a purchase of $3.99 or more at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Promo code LS. Completely. Um, even just the nutrition program and going into the facility and seeing all the nutrition, you know, manifested in this incredible, the snack room or whatever it is. And, and, and also reviewing the film and then they have all these beautiful seats all around this huge screen to review the films and everything was just state of the art or even the, um, the physical therapy place where they had the cool, the ice baths and stuff like that. That was just inspiring and incredible. The whole thing, and even just have to get into the gym to have a key. Like you can't just walk into the gym. You have to, you have, to have a key and yeah. there's security everywhere. Just all that. No, it is. It's, it's things that maybe you would, in retrospect, like it makes sense, but you're right. Like at Wesleyan, that was anyone could walk into the gym. We, I remember there were times where we'd have practice and we'd have to kick kids off the court because they'd be in there shooting around. It's like, these are, these are not problems you run into at a high major division one college. So then after Michigan, Duncan has a similar decision to make, just like the Wesleyan or the Williams, Michigan transfer decision. He has another decision where signing an agent is sort of two options. We can go with the guy who prioritizes or has more relationships in the NBA, and that might be a little bit of a stretch, or we can go with the guy who has more connections overseas, which seems more realistic. And Duncan had to decide, does he want to take this leap to try to break into the NBA or go the safer route with the guy who could probably get him a better job overseas? What was your advice to him in that moment, in that decision? So just a little backstory there. We, we had a big 10 tournament, which we had won, surprisingly. Um, I think it was after the plane crash, um, that one. And one agent came up to me and he goes, um, Mrs. Robinson, and I said, yeah. And he goes, this is my card. He goes, um, I'd be interested in talking to Duncan about, um, they, there's certain rules that they can, can't talk to him or they can or whatever. They can't buy them coffee or something like that. He goes, but you know, um, and I said, oh, okay. And I just took his card and he goes, um, it's Europe. You know that, right? And I go, yeah, whatever. Like, I, I have no agenda here. 
in this conversation. So I said, yeah. So, but then Duncan, again, like I'm talking about that imprinting, he, he had done that parlay from Williams to, and really he, he navigated that. I mean, I was supportive and I was asking questions and honing his, uh, his uh, progress through that, but he was doing it. And then when he had met Glue, Glue found him and his agent, Glue, Jason Glushan, shout out to him. He is incredible. I mean, first of all, he's a boutique. He sat for, we were at UCLA and this is when Duncan had just stopped starting for Michigan. So it was like his junior year. Um, Glue sat with Marta and I, Duncan's sister, for two or three hours telling us all about his job and what he did and what his job was. He didn't have to do that. I mean, we're just, you know, we're, we're just arm people, you know, we're not Duncan. And he, he did that. And I just, between Duncan and Glue, they taught us what was going to happen. It wasn't, I, I mean, again, I was just sort of like, okay, that sounds good. And I think maybe inspiring to Duncan was having to tell us what he was doing. So he sort of honed his speech or his philosophy around why he was doing what he was doing. But um, Glue was amazing and Duncan was great to see a that's one that's one thing that Duncan does have he has a great sense of um uh he has a great IQ of people he's he loves people and he knows who to trust and who not to trust and he's had all sorts of friends over the years and still has them because he um has a really good uh, interrelational um relationship with a lot of people so yeah I think that you deserve more credit probably than you're giving yourself because yes, Duncan made those decisions and Duncan decided to transfer from Williams and he navigated that and he went with glue and took that gamble on himself to let's go with the agent who could help me get into the NBA. Even if it's a long shot, let's, let's take the chance. But I think it's rare that a parent is just supportive, you know, that they don't have an agenda or, you know, aren't, you know, pushing one way or the other. And you were always just supportive. And even at Exeter, it's like you never missed a game. You were always there. And like I said, oh, yeah. we would escape to your house for the weekend. It's like you were always there. You were supportive. And that, I think, it just goes, it, it makes things so much easier as a kid trying to navigate the world. Like when you have that parent that's just supportive, is there to, you know, regardless of what the decision is, you are going to be there. Well, he's easy to support, and they, all my kids are. And I was, I was lucky. I had three kids that we, we got along. You know, we had, we had fun, and we were all. I mean, I'm not funny, but they're funny, and I, I appreciate oh, their funny. <laughs> I wouldn't say so that. So we really had a lot of fun, and um, there was something I was going to say about that. Uh, um. Yeah. So anyway, we, we just, it was just easy to support him. I mean, and, oh, I was, I know it's said this Mother's Day thing. I always am sort of, sort of flabbergasted by this Mother's Day thing because the best thing in the world is to be a mother. Like, why are you, why are you celebrating me as a mother when, <laughs> when we should have kids day or something like that? And it's the most fulfilling thing. And especially, you know, I know your parents feel the same way, uh, especially with the kids that we have, they're just so fun and they're so respectful. Um, and it's just so nice to, to live life through their eyes as well as yours. So it's great. 
I think uh, the least that we as kids can do is take one day out of the year to uh, appreciate our mothers more than usual. We should do it every day. But if we if we should let's just we'll stamp one day on the calendar uh, to make sure that that appreciation is felt. All right, last question for you. You've been you're on your lunch break, by the way. You are uh, foregoing <laughs> lunch to talk to me, so I want to make sure you have time to eat. But before I let you go, I am curious. This is the last question I have for you. When you look back on Duncan's journey playing basketball, none of us ever thought that it would get to this point, but here we are. What makes you proudest about who he is today as a as a person and just how he's, you know, traveled this journey? When you look back, if you had to pick one thing, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. But what yeah. about him? What about him as a mother makes you proudest? I would say that he oh, just one thing. Um, I would <laughs> well, I think his work ethic got him there, but I think that his true respect for other people and himself probably that and, and and his big heart with all that so i would say his ethos his his integrity um yep. and his intelligence all mel melded into one kind of thing i mean you picked like seven things but i'll let it i'll let that <laughs> no, i'll totally let that answer <laughs> i'll let that answer fly no it, it's it's true i mean he is He's a special kid. And again, I think a lot of that credit goes to the home he grew up in and his siblings and his parents and the people that were around him. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned uh, when you met Glue, it was right after Duncan had moved to the bench at Michigan. And, you know, I have people because, you know, he's he's had this playoff run where there are games where he's not playing. There are games where he's not playing as much as he wants to be playing. And I have people reaching out to me like, what's going on? How's he handling this? Is he doing okay? And I tell people, this is nothing new. You know, he's been here. He is resilient. He is, like you said, he's got respect for himself. He's got respect for, he knows who he is. And so, you know, this is just another part of the journey, right? Like this is the long shot podcast. He's been a long shot his entire life. So this is nothing, right? Like this is nothing new. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's got that resilience. And a lot of that comes from you. Oh, well, he's a true professional. You know, and he's a can-do kid. He's going to do it. He's going to study it. He's going to figure out where the slips and the cracks are, and he's going to go in through there, and he's going to come out above. He just keeps doing it, and I love him for it. And it's really an honor um, to watch this ride and, and to watch him bloom into the adult that he is, the professional adult that he is. Yep. So. It's been a, it's been an honor for me to watch it too. I'm just hanging on to his coattails now. You know, I'm just latched on as he continues to rise. I'm trying to just go up there with him. So it's been a blast. Elizabeth, thank you so much. Seriously. This was oh, awesome. This was this was one that I was most looking forward to. I appreciate you very much. Thanks for coming on. Please go eat your lunch. Uh get back to I, I hope I didn't I hope I saved you like twenty minutes for you to put something down <laughs> before you have to get back to work. I appreciate you, and I appreciate your parents, too. Happy Mother's Day to Debbie. <laughs> yes, happy Mother's Day, Mama. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Take Thanks. care.